0: Hello, fuck demons. Welcome to Sex News with Ray. Uh, Today we are joined by Chris Carlson, the owner operator of Flourish Education and Consulting. She provides sexual health education, both in a school and community level, and consulting work on human trafficking within the province of Ontario. Chris has been hired as a subject matter specialist on working with and engaging with young people who are at risk or have been trafficked or suffered sexual abuse. She also owns DiscreetParty.com, which is an adult novelty business and has been in business since 2007. Did I miss anything? Yep, that's me in a nutshell. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you. So just for, you know, I met Chris as part of my program and she's super cool. And uh, one of those people where the, at first you don't realize quite how cool she is because you don't get a chance to get to know people. And the more she talks, we're like, holy shit. One of the coolest people. Lots of stories to tell. And oh, so much. you're an expert on the subject matter that we're talking about today. Yeah, I was
1: really excited when you contacted me about having this conversation. So I'm excited to be here tonight.
0: Great. Okay, I'll get into the article and then we'll we'll get into it. Sound good? Sounds good. The article is called Working for You, Signs to Look For When It Comes to Human Trafficking. It's from WSMV4, which is a Tennessee local news network, and it was published April 4th, 2022. After a human trafficking bust the previous week, so early uh, end of May, News 4 is letting people know what to look for in human trafficking. The news outlet is speaking with different police officers, including Sergeant Matthew Dixon from the Metro Police's Human Trafficking Unit, and uh, Sergeant Matthew Dixon is talking about how traffickers prey on vulnerable populations, such as children, the homeless community, and women and men that haven't found their way in life. And the trafficker offers them something they need, or the victim falls in love with the person and thinks they'll be offered an amazing life. The police say there are two kinds of trafficking, labor and sex trafficking, and most sex trafficking happens at hotels. Other approaches involve dating apps. And then a quote, uh, some of the signs you can look for are a female who isn't dressed appropriately for the weather or her age. Some other things to look for, a lot of victims don't have any control over their identity documents, such as their passports or driver's license. If they're trying to check into a hotel, oftentimes they won't have those documents, Reese said. For younger kids, if they appear to be afraid or have signs or bruising or they won't make eye contact with you, that's something to look for. I can't give you exact descriptions of what human trafficking looks like, but if you suspect something, please call Tennessee Human Trafficking Hotline, Dixon said. So, Chris, if you could talk a little bit about what you do, and then uh, let me know if that was accurate.
1: Yeah, for sure. So, um, in 2017, the province of Ontario um, started their anti-human trafficking, um, so their strategy towards anti-human trafficking. So it's important that we know that human trafficking has been around forever. It's actually like some of the foundation stones that Canada is built on. So as scary as that sounds, it has been around forever. So in 2017, Ontario was actually the fourth province to come to the table with an anti-strategy, anti-trafficking strategy. But since then, they actually have the most robust. So my job is to engage young people between the ages of 13 and 24 who are at risk of currently entrenched in or are actively being trafficked. Um, so I'm like a life coach. I'm like a human two a one. So if young people have, um, if they want to come forward, I just help them reintegrate back into society in a healthy way after or during their abuse.
0: Cool, so our uh, in terms of what they said to look for for human trafficking, was that accurate?
1: um Some of it is very accurate. I
0: think that
1: sometimes the worry that I get is that um we start when we start looking at risk factors, we start to target a certain demographic, like you know saying that it, it only impacts um you know it, it impacts both men and women, it impacts people who are impoverished, but it also impacts. Um, like the highest level of our society. Um, what it is is more about char- characteristics specifically um, for young people who are being tra- like who are being groomed to be trafficked. So when we think about trafficking, there's actually four stages that young people will go through in the trafficking process. Um, so there is like the luring stage, which is where they initially make contact. Then there it goes to grooming and gaming which would be the next step, grooming and gaming is where they start meeting every single need that these young people or adults might need. And then they, um, they're like just pouring things at them. So say if I was a young person and my need in that moment might be something to eat, I'd be going out and making sure that that young person was never hungry again, I might be offering them a safe place to stay. Um, Lots of times, though, when I'm working with young people, it'll be just the very need of finding somewhere to belong or like creating a friendship or a relationship with somebody who normally might not have ever taken the time to get to know me. Um, and then when we get to coercion and and manipulation, that's when things really start to get rough for these young people. It's where it goes from like the Cinderella story of romance and excitement and fantasy to when things are getting really difficult in their lives, where they're being outright exploited, and all of those things that were offered and uh, promised to them are stripped away. Um, this is usually um, either physical or uh, either physical or emotional uh, manipulation and abuse are taking place. And then the final stage, which is um, really something that's been added new, is the recruitment stage. So most people who are engaged in human trafficking then are forced to like peer to peer recruit in order to remove, like to reduce their restrictions or reduce their quota, um. So that it almost so traffickers are so brilliant they're now traffic, they're now getting the tra- the trafficked people to do the recruitment because it adds another layer between them and law enforcement if the ring would ever get bro- um,
0: like get broken up. So do these disgusting humans know that what they're doing is disgusting and reprehensible or, or do they just think that they're badasses who are just Um, doing cool shit? I think it's a little bit of both. I think that, um,
1: like I come from a really unhealthy, like I come from a really like well-rounded thing. So, um, I also think that people who are being groomed to become traffickers themselves have probably suffered some sort of, um. Like, this may be something that legacy-like has been brought down to them. This may be something that they've been taught by their parents is really um, pro-social behavior, or this is how their family works. Um, The other thing that we actually need to look at is, well, traffickers are, like, you know, they're not the best people in the world, they're not obviously looking out for the best people, but when do we start looking at the population that's purchasing sex from underage people or from purchasing sex from people who are being exploited? You know, so when we start looking at traffickers are in business because there's a need and demand. Mm. So, and so I will not get into the like, I don't like I believe sex work is good work. Like I 100% believe that in my soul. So if somebody is independent, and they're choosing this, and it is working for that 100%, I want you to know,
0: I believe sex work is good work. But human trafficking and sex work are very different things. What are, what are the differences as someone, this is the big debate that the media keeps trying to pit all sex workers as trafficked or, you know, it's one or the other it's, you know, so what does sex work look like versus trafficking? Right. So, um,
1: I like to sometimes talk about the three C's of, um, like, so people who have a really broad range and they don't want to kind of minimize it. They might say that there's three types of sex work. So there is work by choice. And that's amazing and it's independent and I'm like, hey, it's Thursday and I wanna make some more money and I'm gonna choose the who, what, where, when, why, and how. I'm gonna set my cost, I'm gonna do, I'm gonna decide who and when, I can decide where I choose to do it. I can choose not to go out um, and perform sex work. And so that's sex work by choice. Then we have this gray area, which is sex work by um, circumstance. And so this can sometimes be um, people end up being exploited in this way? Um, And so this might be people who are forced either by their level of education or maybe their socioeconomic status. Um, Maybe it's that CPS is involved, Child Protection Services, and this is how this mom keeps food in her cupboards, um, which keeps her children at home with her. And so we talk about um, sex work by circumstance. And the last one is through coercion. Um, And that is someone who's being taken advantage of, manipulated. It is not what they originally signed up to, and that would be trafficking. So to be classified as human trafficking in the province of Ontario, and actually by the Criminal Code of Canada, um, it has to have kind of three main things. It has to have the act, the means, and the purpose. So the act is either like you're exploiting someone through labor, you're exploiting someone through um, sex work, you're exploiting you might be harvesting somebody's organs because um, illegal organ removal is actually part of a human trafficking definition in the Criminal Code of Canada. The, so that's the act, the means would be like, how are you doing it? So are you using some sort of physical, psychological or financial um, power over that person to exploit them? And then the third one is, so act means and purpose. And so that's to make money. So, in order for it to be classified as human trafficking, there has to be a third party besides the person performing the act and the person purchasing the act. There has to be a third party who is receiving some sort of benefit or payment. So, it'd be like and the so pimp like, or the madam, or yeah, that would be the pimp. That would be the madam. That might be the boyfriend. Sometimes um, it's even a family member. So, in the province of Ontario. Um, And I'm just going to speak to that because that's what I'm most comfortable with. That's where my majority of my stats. So in Canada, 96% of people who are being trafficked in Canada are from Canada. They're not like people who are being imported into our country. So we refer to that as domestic sex trafficking. And then Ontario makes up 80% of all trafficking that happens in Canada. So sometimes people might ask like, Why did that like why does Ontario make up so much and it's because we're vast we're remote and it's really hard for police to be able to cover so many different jurisdictions, it allows traffickers to put girls on circuit um, and move them very frequently. Um, So the 400 road is a very popular one in Ontario. and. so girls from Thunder Bay, like where I am, oftentimes end up in the Durham, Toronto, Niagara region, Hamilton. So it's called the 400 track. That's what they call it. Um, and then they they do circuit. And so they can move people very quickly around the province. And it's really hard for police to detect it.
0: Yeah. And so, it's it's amazing how even with all of our integrated technologies, you know, um, it's so easy to isolate someone from their parents and from, from help. And half the time, that's where the coercion comes in. You're convincing these young people that no one's going to come and help them. There's no point in calling in the first place and or it's too late or they're ruined. Like there's a lot of the mental side of it that keeps people with these abusers when one phone call could potentially get them out of it.
1: Absolutely. But you have to remember, like, so try and think back to when we were 15. And this is the analogy I like to use with lots of people. So remember when we're 15 and we think everything. And imagine yourself at Christmas or at or like some sort of special occasion where there's an adult table and there's a kid table, okay? So like you guys can kind of vision the thing. Now imagine an adult coming to the kid table and saying, I have an opportunity for you to join us because we think you're so smart or we think you're so beautiful or we think that other people around you don't realize how mature you are, but I do. So come to come with me to the adult table, and I'm going to show you everything that being an adult is all about. I don't know a 15-year-old who would say no. Yeah, and that's, that's how it starts. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's a lot of times when I talk to young people, that's kind of how it started for them is somebody who they admired or that they felt like they had really strong feelings for. Somebody who maybe trick them in as either being their boyfriend or like their new best friend, Um, that's oftentimes the recruitment strategies that happen is they empower them to cut everybody else out because the people who are giving them strong messages about like, don't grow up so fast, you know, be a kid, enjoy it. When 15 year olds want to exude all that independence, and they're going to find somebody who's going to allow
0: them to do that. I have a friend from high school who mm-hmm. she and I were talking recently about another friend of ours. And when we were about 15, 16 years old, we were in a Dungeons and Dragons group with another girl who was like barely 18 and her boyfriend was 30. And yeah. looking back on it, um, we had had you and I a previous conversation where you talked about how trafficking isn't always even from like city to city in big ways. Sometimes oh. it's literally just like like minor community to minor community and just restricting access from or like isolating you from from different people. And when I look back on it, he had this girl move in with him, he was 30 years old, still in high school, I should add, like, that's mm-hmm. how I knew her, because we went to high school together. And he got her to move in with him as soon as he possibly could. She had a bad relationship with her parents. He you know, was very much like encouraging that he was having her post, um, like basically nudes to the internet, and like using that as a big way to boost her self esteem. And he essentially tried to get me involved in it at some point. But I was raised with parents who, who, uh, you know, like I would say like I was probably in a bit of a healthier home environment. And so it did not work on me. And I basically realized that I could never be alone with this adult man ever again, even with her in the room, because it just made me feel unsafe. And then I was having this conversation with my friend now. And I'm like, so that I think is the definition of trafficking. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Because um, most times, like more times than not, When it's young people, like I have never yet in my seven years of doing this work, and even as an exploited person myself, so as somebody who was exploited in my childhood, um, I have never used the words that I, up until recently, that I was a survivor of human trafficking. I just felt like the choices that I had made as a young person got me into situations. And that was kind of like, you start to own that because the people who are exploiting you start to plant that in your brain. Right. You You think you're consenting. You think you're making the choice. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, what they don't realize is that you've been groomed into this relationship and you really had no other choice. And so um, most times, so some some Ontario statistics, we know that approximately 85 percent of people who are being trafficked are trafficked by the person they identify as their boyfriend, their best friend or somebody within their peer circle group. And then 13% of people will actually be trafficked by a family member, a guardian, or a person in position of power over. So this might be like your foster parent, or it might be like your bio parents, maybe siblings, because if young, so if siblings get involved, it's very easy for the trafficker to know everything about their younger siblings, and they'll start the grooming process much earlier, and much, like much younger. So the average age of recruitment for human trafficking in the province of Ontario is 13. So 13 is like, if I'm a trafficker, that's where I'm starting, because they're at the point in their life where they're really trying to force that individuality. um, And they're also the most at risk. This is when most young people start identifying, um, say, if they maybe don't identify as cis, Um, And they're starting to explore that for themselves. This would be a time of coming out, but it would also be a really difficult time being able to like navigate those systems. And we know that um, traffickers exploit that a lot. Um, It's also a time when you're moving from like junior high to high school. So you might have been at the top in juniors, like in like junior high, but now you've gone to real high school, grade nine, um, you're really easy to see how vulnerable you would be to like wanting to belong to something like to fitting in in a click when you get to high school. And so we oftentimes see that this being the most dangerous time for young people.
0: So if I wanted to purchase sex for fun, how would I make sure that I'm purchasing from a person who's doing this consensually or even just, you know, like not the coercion category of the three C's? How can I tell if someone's being trafficked or if this is someone who's consenting to be here by their own choice?
1: Um, So really quick, like, so depending um, how you're purchasing the sex, so like if you're purchasing from an ad, um, if it says like barely 18 or newly 18, then chances are they're not 18. Like that's a really good um, thing. The other thing um, to keep an eye on is if you are purchasing sex and somebody else is responding to the ad. So they're like, this is their boyfriend, or this is their manager, or this is their person. Um, likely that person's not in control of the ad. And so that is probably not a good starter point. Like if you're an independent person, you're going to be running all of those things yourself. So, you know, if you're looking at like Leo's list or if you're looking to purchase on different pages, um, those are some like red flags that you'll want to be looking for. Um, the other thing is if you're purchasing sex and attending a hotel, um, some, some things you might want to look at, like how, I, how long have they been there? How how many um like condoms and things like that are located in the garbage can? Um, do they have shoes and a winter jacket? So, like if it's winter, for example, we're purchasing sex in the winter and you show up at the room and there's no winter boots or jackets. Like, so there's no means for them to be able to leave. Um, if you ask them questions and they seem hesitant about answering, you know, like they're they have to think twice, they might be checking their phone. Um, those are all some things that you might want to keep an eye on. And if if it feels yucky in your stomach, then
0: probably something's going on. So I guess my next question for you is, it talks about hotel employees looking for people being trafficked. Uh, recently, there was a hotel that called the cops on a woman who was basically just traveling solo and they she got arrested for being a sex worker because sex work is illegal in the States. It's all considered trafficking. And the reason they arrested her is because the employees noticed that she was traveling alone and had sex toys in her luggage that she'd left out. And that is why mm-hmm. they accused her of being a sex worker because she had sex toys in her luggage
1: that would hurt my heart so bad like i i just cruise around with sex toys all the time i would be always arrested that's so really important that's what solo women do yeah yeah so really important thing it's important that we know that sex work in canada is not illegal um and so it is the the procurement like the purchasing of sex that is illegal Um, So it is a very uh, Swedish model, and you would think that that is very empowering, but it isn't. Um, So while we've probably made some good groundwork in regards to sex work, this does not make it safer for people. Um, People who are engaged in voluntary sex work still face huge amounts of discrimination, um, stigmatization, um, and reporting issues, because it's still not a safe thing for for people to be able to
0: do right and this Um, is also one of the ways one of the reasons that you know this isn't going to help end trafficking is because if you call in to report that you think someone is being trafficked and they go well how do you know and it's because you were trying to purchase ethical sexual services you're also going to jail or also getting arrested even though you're trying to help this person who's been being trafficked
1: yeah so there's a lot of really great resources if you believe that somebody is at risk of being trafficked so say if you go out and you purchase sex ethically and it's, and you think but you come across a situation that you're like, mm, this doesn't feel so good for me anymore. Um, you can actually give contact information. So don't give potential survivors or people who are potentially entrenched, don't give them business cards of um, organizations because that puts them very much at risk if they're trafficker, when the trafficker goes through their purse or their phone. Um, but you can let them know maybe where the closest victim service location is, like where they are, because they may not even know what city they're in, um, because they're moved around so frequently. Um, the other thing is that there you can use Crime Stoppers. So you can use Crime Stoppers, and they cannot ever look up your information or use any of it against you in any sort of law-abiding way. Like so, they can never charge you with information
0: through the Crime Stoppers line. Okay, so. We've sort of talked about the Nordic model a little bit. Um, I've actually had previous guests on who are sex workers talking about the Nordic mm. model and how it's bullshit. And just this is very, a very much pro-sex work podcast. Um, mm, absolutely. Yeah. And I think that a lot of people assume that if you work in anti-trafficking, you are also anti-sex work. Can you explain to our listeners why that wouldn't be the case?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, most people... I- I mean, I, I honestly can't say that for all anti-trafficking workers. Um, it is gonna come down to each person's value belief and their understanding of systems and models. But it also comes down to understanding that people under 18 cannot consent to purchase sex. So that is just, again, it's in our criminal code. It just doesn't work. So if you're under 18, you can't, um, you can't consent to sex work with somebody who has a position of power. So as soon as somebody's paying for it, it's considered a position of power over. So um, when you're under 18, um, it just can't happen. Um, For everybody over 18, um, I think that you will find many of us in the anti-trafficking work that believe that sex work can be good work Um, and it can be work by choice. Um, we want to make sure that um, if those people, however, had been exploited earlier on, um, or like maybe sometimes that's how they've come into independent sex work, because maybe they didn't feel like they had any other options. We just want to make sure they're getting all the resources in, that are available to them. Um, but yeah, I would say it's not always the case that anti-trafficking workers believe that everybody who's involved in sex work is uh is being trafficked. Um, and I think that that comes from um, self-awareness. I think um, there's a big movement in the anti-trafficking world um, to have employers hire people with lived experience to do this work. Um, that necessarily wasn't what was happening in the beginning. Like they were just posting these jobs and people were applying for them. Um, but I know that right now the Provincial Anti-Trafficking Coordination Office, the co office in Ontario, um, they're very strong um, support people
0: and encourage um, the hiring of people with lived experience to do this work. I have two questions for you. And the first one is um, circling back to the, you know, getting peers involved. Uh, so there's like another step between the trafficker and the trafficking victim. Mm-hmm. What does that look like?
1: Um, okay. So you see this all the time. Um, so you will see on TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, like you are going to see girl, y- young people. Um, I'm going to say girls. I'm sorry. I I do gender it. I apologize. Um, So you're going to see young people who are posting like, oh, look how much money I'm making. Um, look how cool my life is. Like just these constant snapshots, snapshots, snapshots. And what happens is is young people will respond and be like, girl, how are you making so much money? Like, talk to me about this. Oh, and like those like, girls oh. saying, I
0: make $15,000 a month on OnlyFans. Those were like yes. a big thing on TikTok. And anyone who actually had an OnlyFans was like, who are these people? Who's like, making $15,000
1: a month on OnlyFans? Yeah, and so um, some of my survivors have said, like, their, their, part, their person their trafficker handler, whatever you want to refer to them as, would collect everybody's money And then they would put it in a bag and make them make a TikTok about that's how much money they made, Mm. right, when they're putting the staff in. So I think that because, like, this is a very uh, common tactic. So, for example, I'm going to have a quota. If I'm somebody who's being trafficked, my quota might be between $800 and $1,500 a day. It might also depend where I'm being trafficked. So we can make way more money. Um, we can make way more money if we're in the Niagara, Toronto kind of area than we can make it up here in the north. So our quote is changed depending where you are on circuit. Um, So let's say um, if that 1500 translates to 10 people, just for good math, because I'm a social worker, so I'm not very good at math. I'm not a good -er. mather. So let's say if that means I have to engage in 10 appointments a day. My trafficker might say to me, you know what? Uh, Chris, I need you to go out and befriend three girls. Um, And if you bring those three girls in, you only have to have two sessions per day. You only have to work two times a day. And so if I've been on circuit for three or four months and I'm working seven days a week, and it doesn't matter if I have my career or not, they'll just sponge me. Um, It doesn't matter if I have been physically abused or any of those things. They're just gonna keep me on circuit as long as they can because they wanna make every dollar out of me that they can. Um, And then what will happen is, is when I bring in these two new girls, I start posting, I start whatever people are going to reach out, I go out and befriend them. Oftentimes, I will, if I'm from north, or if I'm whatever, we will pay flights and whatever to get them to where we're located, which will isolate them already. So it already puts them at a disadvantage, they're going to be here, and it's gonna be really difficult for them to find any way back out. And so they just do it thinking it's going to be short term. But it never ends up being short term. You don't exit under 18 um, unless your trafficker wants you to exit or unless you're by accident exited, like police become involved or a party gets be like broken up or those kinds
0: of things. And even then, um, young people are likely not going to admit that they're being exploited. We had a conversation a few months ago at this point where you also talked about um, girls recruiting in high schools or or middle mm-hmm. schools. And you know it might look like, uh, I mean, you I might be re- remembering this wrong, so I'd love for you to correct me if I am. But you were also talking about girls being uh, like bullied into performing sex acts to be popular, and then that being yeah. used as blackmail against them. Is that? Yeah, am I remembering yeah, that correctly?
1: So, yeah, absolutely. So another thing that we've seen is like, um, so young people who are being bullied into sexual acts, and then those acts being video recorded, um, and then them saying like. If you don't continue to do it, we're going to post this on your dad's work's um, social medias, or we're going to send these to your parents, or we're going to send this, whatever. And so, young girl, young people then continue to stay engaged because they don't want the tr- they don't want somebody to find out what they've done. Um, so it it just reinforces that shame and blame and that internalization um, that they've actually done something, and then that's what keeps them stuck is like the fear of what's going to happen when it comes out.
0: Okay, question number 2. Yeah. What can parents do to prevent their kids from falling into that four-step trap?
1: Um I think the most important thing that we really need to do and you know that I'm a big uh I'm a big fan of this so we need to actually get some really good comprehensive sex education happening in our schools and not like the filtered kind but like actually having conversation about risk factors. Um, parents need to be having really strong conversations, but then they have to have the behaviors that align with that conversation. So if you're going to say to your kids, like, this is my favorite one, you're going to say to your kid, hey, if you've had too much to drink, you can call me anytime. But then when your young person phones you and you're mad at them about that, do you see how those two things don't align? Young people aren't going to do it. So if you have a conversation about, listen, if you ever get yourself into this situation, I need you to know that you can come to me no questions asked, no blaming, no nothing, then you actually have to live by that. Um, Because oftentimes what happens is when young people are trafficked, that comes with a lot of other pieces. Like it comes with threats of violence against them and their families. Well, then if parents are saying, I can't have you come home because you have younger siblings and you make this situation unsafe, they're never going to be able to come forward. They're never going to trust adults again to be able to say the truth And to still be able to stay safe. And so, traffickers do such an amazing job of alienating and tweaking the minds of these young people that, yeah, they're gonna be shits. They're gonna say really mean things. They're gonna be like, I hate you. You're losers. You're blah, blah, blah. They're gonna steal from you. They're going to be forced to, you know, say mean things to their friends. They're going to push you away every way they can. And more times than not, that's about, Them trying to keep you safe, but it's also about trying to create distance and be in this relationship with their trafficker. So if they eventually do come home, you can't re victimize them by bringing it up all the time with them. You have to be like, this is where it's at. We love you. We're glad we're home. And you you just take them in all encompassing. And it's going to be hard. Um, Almost every young person that I have ever worked with who's been trafficked has been diagnosed with some sort of um, borderline personality disorder, um, disassociation disorder, like so a DID, like a disassociative disorder or complex post-traumatic stress. So how we engage with soldiers coming back from war is exactly what it looks like for people exiting trafficking. And so we need to make sure that we're in it to win it. If we're gonna decide to be the people in these young people's lives, cause it is gonna be hard it is going to take a really long time and they're never going to be the same people they were before. And so asking young people to reintegrate back into their old world doesn't make sense anymore because they've become
0: completely different people with completely different trauma. This is a super interesting conversation and I want to continue yeah. it on next week's episode if that's okay. Yeah, and We absolutely. are going to take a short commercial break and come back with a, a listener question that's a little bit less dark than what we've been talking about. Sounds great. This is your casual, super chill reminder that we have podcast swag. Do you want a hat that says fuck demon? We have those, among other items. You can find them through sharewithray.com merch or head to my Etsy store, send nudes by Ray. We are back. Okay, Chris, you are more than just someone who works in anti-trafficking. You are, you know like clearly an amazing person with all of this knowledge and skills. And uh, it takes a lot to be able to work in trafficking every single day and still keep a chipper attitude about you. So our listener question of the day is, how can I keep my long distance relationship spicy? Oh,
1: so what I encourage people to do and um, is it's the little things, like it's anticipating. So my husband works out of town um, five days a week. Um, so he's only home two days and things that like we like to do is, um, so we, we definitely talk on the phone a lot. We engage in like phone sex. We send little messages. We make sure that we, um, create dates, um, beforehand and whether those are going to be like secret dates, So like, you just have to give full trust and respect to your partner. Um, I don't know. Are we allowed to talk about?
0: Everything we swear here,
1: brands like are we allowed to talk about brands and stuff? Yeah, yeah, for yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay, this is like so a, a
0: couple. This is there are like no sponsors on this podcast, so you can say whatever you want.
1: Oh, okay, great. Yeah. So, um, one thing that through my business that I have found has really spiced things up is, um, so I have I do a like I do this, subs- like not a subscription box, but I pack a box once a month for about six or seven of my customers, and um, I just the they don't get any choice I just pack up a box and these couples go and pick a destination and I drop the box off everything's pre-charged everything's pre-loaded like um there's some do's and don'ts like some if they have allergies or whatever but I just ship these box off to them usually every second month and it is a really fun and exciting way for couples to like re-engage with each other in ways that are outside of their comfort zones but not so out that they um you know, that they're, they're freaked out by it. Um, the other thing that I love to do is like sending like little care packages or sending like nude photos of yourself or your partner to like envision that. Um, yeah, I'm a huge fan toy. of a nude
0: that tells a story.
1: Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So um, the other thing, uh, so one toy that I do really like is the WeVibe Chorus. Um, it has like a, a pretty cool app. You can, it has like a FaceTime feature in it. But it allows you and your partner to be in completely different time, like areas, as long as both are in Wi-Fi zones, they can actually control the toy through their app. They can actually download a sex jam in the app, and the toy will, like, beat to that, like, bass beat of that song.
0: Cool. That sounds like yeah, fun. so... Matt yeah, and of, it's... um do you know that do you know that kegel video game that I'm forgetting the name of right now the one where you can basically yeah. play like the bird the flappy bird but with your with your yeah. vaginal with your kegel yeah. I'm just saying that for like you know uh like couples of all gender like put the toy in your butt or your vagina like all genders can play that. that yeah you know why not play video games with your genitals together it, it'll, it might not be spicy but laughing is always a fun way of
1: keeping I, things exciting I think the- I think that sometimes we like I like we think of spicy having to be something forbidden. But I think sometimes distance relationships can be just so like sometimes the laughter is the thing that brings it to the next level. Like being able to be so comfortable with yourself and your partner, um, it allows growth and laughter is probably the best medicine. That's I 100 percent agree with you. Right. Like if you and your partner are laughing together, you guys are having so much fun together.
0: I honestly have nothing really to add to that. That was a really great answer. You covered like sex toys, you covered, you know, dates, you covered pretty much everything. So- yeah, you just, you have to just, you have to just be committed. Like people, when people say, oh, relationships
1: are 50-50. No, relationships are 100-100, you know? And sometimes I'm 40 and my partner needs to be 160, like, because just where we are. And um, like, I think COVID took its toll not only in our mental health, but then it affected everything physically too, you know? And so I think that right now we have to work harder than ever to like, just reconnect with people.
0: Yeah. Also, um, there's something to be said for like going out without, I mean, I know that when you're in a long distance relationship, you never have your partner, but there is something to be said for like going out and flirting with people and then like calling your partner at the end of that night. Like when you're feeling hot and you're feeling yourself, like, you know, and then you get to like harness that energy and then call the person that you actually want to talk to. Absolutely. Like you, you know, you build it up and then it becomes
1: like this inner passion and you're rushing home to get home to that partner. There's nothing better than that.
0: All right. I think we have nothing else to add to that question. So I'm going to end with the sex ed story of the week. And you can also feel free to at any time, share a sex ed story if you have one that you want to share. Um, so the sexed story of the week comes from Rebecca who says, I remember my pro forced birth teacher. That's what we say instead of pro life. Now we say pro forced birth, my pro forced birth teacher, putting list two alternatives to abortion on a test. And I wish I would have written a smart ass answer, like just have gay sex or masturbation. Oh my God. Yes. I wish she would have too. I feel like the amount of things we wish we wrote when we were younger, that we just didn't have the brain capacity for that now, now we do. Yeah
1: um I'm I'm actually so shocked like still like doing what I do like selling sex toys even so like I did a party last night and I am so surprised women between the ages of like and I and I'm gonna be narrow here but I'm sure there's people across a bunch of generations but women between the ages of like 35 and 50 and how little we know about our bodies and how little I and how much I'm teaching these grown women like when we think about sex ed we often think about like going and talking to young people but I feel like I do some of my best work teaching moms or teaching caregivers how to have better sex talks with their kids because we know they're not getting that comprehensive sex ed in school Unless they're hiring a professional coming in to do it. And believe me, I love teachers, but teachers aren't paid enough and aren't
0: trained. um,
1: Trained. Like they're like, oh, just take a three-hour course and you're gonna be good enough. Like
0: I don't know a single teacher who actually wants to teach sex ed. It's not Um, even that. It's 45 minutes in teachers college. They get 45 minutes of how to teach sex ed. We had how many hours of that? (laughs) Yeah, like I like it took us months. Like it took us eight months and we were like
1: literally there three full days and we were like tested and homework and all of these assignments. So I feel bad for teachers who are being like forced, forced, you know, to teach it. And not because I don't think they have the skills and ability. I think it's unfair of us to have those conversations without all of the amazing
0: training that we receive. I've been running through the gym that I go to we've been sort of collaborating we've been doing uh like parent child consent and self-defense workshops so it's like an mm-hmm. hour and a half of like it's for like kids aged 11 to 13 it's an hour and a half of consent and then an hour of self-defense because like I find so many self-defense workshops are such bullshit because they're like someone's gonna yeah. attack you in the woods and I'm like no one's attacking you in the woods and yeah. that's not that's not what we need to protect ourselves from we need to protect ourselves from unfortunately our friends and family so yeah like, and I tried to do research on um, what would be good resources for a consent workshop for 11 to 13 year olds and their parents. And guess what? All the books are age eight and under or 15 and 16 and over. There's literally, it's like, here are your body parts and your body part is your part. And then it goes right to don't have sex if people don't want you to, you know, or if you don't want to. And I'm like, there's literally nothing in between. So we built this and literally we do a lot on boundaries. And I, after my conversation with you and, and the learning we did on trafficking. I've like, I make sure to go over coercive relationships and snuck yes. in a little bit of information on that and gave examples based off of our conversations So that like parents and kids could better identify a coercive relationship and be able, knowing that if it's for 11 to 13, that's the vulnerable age. And a lot of the 11 year olds are like, well, we're not even thinking about anything. We don't even hold hands at this age. And I'm like, that is literally going to change within two years. And yeah, you need absolutely. to be ready. You got to know now you got to be ready for when it's, you have to know before you change anyway. I just think that it's such a shame that we just don't have enough resources for this age group because this is when it matters. And uh but yeah, you know, as you said, our teachers aren't necessarily being taught how to teach this.
1: Yeah, and I, I and I feel for that. I know myself, I do a really cool workshop for young people who are at risk of being exploited um and it's based off like um a video that Kind of combines like the game of life and um, Little Red Riding Hood, and I it's it's designed for actually people between the ages of like twelve and eighteen. But every time I show it, um, the adults I feel like they're like, oh my god, like this was such a organic way of me taking it in. Like so, I never have any real conflict when parents are signing their kids up for the workshop because I usually do a one hour session with parents and say, hey, this is what I'm about to teach your kids. And you need to be able to have these good answers when they come back and say, this is what Chris taught us. So yeah. you can't be caught with your pants down. So this is what I'm going to teach you so you can follow up with them when, they're, when I'm done with them.
0: That's why I love doing it like together because I think parents yes. are looking for ways to have these conversations. And like the amount of times I say in that workshop, like I am not parenting your child. Like I'm not here to tell you how to parent. I'm here to give you more language to have this conversation at home so that you can yeah, take exactly. your values. And, and have the conversation that you want to have with your kid in a way that makes it healthy. Because the parents who sign up, they care enough to have this conversation, clearly. They think it's important enough to have the conversation. And
1: I'm not yeah. going to lie,
0: though. It breaks my heart because those are the
1: parents who probably need it less. It's like the parents that are, like, really throwing up those barriers
0: and, like, yeah. You know, wanting to go rounds with you that I feel like it's probably their kids who need it more. Yeah. But you know what ends up happening? You've got that parent with that kid. They take their kid. They go to school. They have three friends. They're gonna teach yeah. you things they learn to their three friends. And you get that organic peer-to-peer coaching, rather, which is how a lot of kids learn about sex. So
1: Yeah. I like I I'm the mom of three adult daughters because I had my kids before I was 20. Um, but it's interesting because I still have this, like my daughter will still phone me and be like, listen, my friend thinks this about, you know, next one. And I'm like, listen, you tell them to phone your mom, even at 24, they're still phoning me, asking me sex ed questions. Like, yeah, I was always the lady you came to, uh, even before we took the course. I was always the lady you came to, to have a conversation.
0: The amount of people in the past month that I've been referring to the sex sense hotline, which I know is Vancouver, but that actually works out better for us because it means they're open like noon to midnight our time. No one I know needs a sex hotline at 9am in Ontario time, but they need it at 11pm. So it's yeah. Yeah. For all our listeners, if you have a sex question and want to talk to an actual healthcare practitioner who is paid to do that, uh, 1-800-SEX-SENSE, S-E-X-S-E-N-S-E. It's a very useful hotline. Open from Absolutely. noon to noon, Eastern time. <laughs> Sorry, noon to midnight. Well, yeah. all right, everyone. Thank you for listening. Chris, where can people follow you or find you if they want to contact you for any sexual health needs?
1: Yeah, so um, they can send me an email at chris at flourished, F-L-O-U-R-I-S-H-E-D um, dot, com, uh, dot C-A. Um They can also follow me on Instagram at uh, bay. So that's uh, way up here in Thunder Bay. And so send me a private message. You can uh, reach me uh, via text uh, through either of those, uh, sorry, either of those social medias. um, And I will gladly get in touch with you. And I can also hook you up if you're looking for more information around human trafficking or adult novices, I can definitely get you in contact with people in any um, area within Ontario for that information.
0: You can join the DP Defining Elite in all our communities on Patreon at patreon.com slash sexnewswithray. And a big thanks to Kelda and Tyler for supporting the podcast by subscribing on Patreon. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sex NewswithRay. Submit a listener question or your sex ed story through sharewithray.com slash podcast, or email me at sexnewswithray at gmail.com. Oh actually no, do my personal email, ray at, at gmail.com. Or DM me. Where can you DM me? Through the sections with Ray Instagram, at wife WifeBayRay on Instagram and TikTok, or share with Ray, which is my new sexuality coaching Instagram that has more coaching sex ed content. If you want latex because you're a rubber pervert, you follow at Razor Latex, and for nudes, follow my OnlyFans at Razor Latex. This podcast is produced by me and engineered by Josh from Josh T Films, and is hosted at Podbean. Theme music is by Blank and Brilliant, and the logo is by Dolly Shot Photography. My credits are so long. <laughs>